Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled Navigating the Complex World of Pharmacy Benefits to receive a code for SHRM credit. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode one of the Benefits Breakdown with Hayes Companies and Team B&B. I'm Vanessa Longnecker. Hey, everybody. Jared Bocut here with you as well. For those of you that aren't familiar with Jared and myself, I lead a National Strategy Executive Vice President at Hayes. I'm a, I believe, fun-loving, hockey-bag-hauling mommy of three, but the reality is I've spent my last two decades navigating the employee benefits landscape, and I can assure you no two days have ever looked the same for myself, for our clients, the collective landscape in which we all unite, and the lens of innovation atop our industry, which is quite dynamic indeed. I'm here, as mentioned, with my partner in crime, Jared, and we're eager to share perspectives in this series of fun employee benefit episodes. You bet. We're excited to be with you. As I mentioned, Jared Bocut, uh, I'm a father of four and have spent the last decade plus, I guess, 11 years more in, in the healthcare space and excited to walk through the different areas of employee benefits. I never in a million years would have thought I would be as passionate as I am about employee benefits. Live it, breathe it, eat it. My wife gets sick of me talking about it. My four kids get sick of me talking about it. Uh, they think I'm nuts but I love it. And it's fun to find the right solutions for our clients. I help lead our sales team for a, a portion of our country. and But I also work on clients on a daily basis. So I'm not just that traditional sales guy that all I do is try and product push or push Hayes and Brown and Brown. Uh, I actually lead a book of business and, and engage with clients on a daily basis. So really excited to be with y'all and walk through these different episodes and help you uncover the new innovative things and in employee benefits. Excited to bring you a series of fresh perspectives, all things employee benefits. You see, we're in the solutions business, and it's Jared and I's goal daily to solve for clients' needs through education, solution neutral insight, and unified goals aimed at optimizing employer spend. We're here to give you the quick and dirty, latest and greatest, and fun dialogue to peek under the hood at what your needs may be get you thinking about what may be new, exciting, or potentially topics worthy of a bit of a challenge as you are exploring what's right for your local organization. Which is not an easy job. Those people out there that have to make these decisions for their employees, that is tough because you're making decisions that have real big impacts on people's lives. And trying to make these decisions, you have to have both sides of the coin. And that's what we're hopefully going to be able to provide you is a lot of the things that you're hearing, the, the trends in the market, the solutions that are being thrown at you, help you see both sides and allow you to make better decisions for your employees. They're going to put your employees in a better position long term and your organization because you also have that fiduciary hat you get to wear. So that will be our goal is to present both sides of different solutions in the marketplace. All right. Laying the framework for today's episode is that of the 2021 Large Employers Healthcare Strategy and Plan Survey as recently released by the Business Group on Health. This survey, as also positioned in the Hayes and B&B State of the Marketplace, accidentally identifies what's topping the charts for employer priorities in 2021. Some, as we'll talk through today, I'd suspect our listeners are clearly aligned with, while others, I'd suggest, seemingly didn't make this year's release, but should, as they are hot topics in today's landscape. Fill us in on what led the BGH chart this year, Jared. Well, the number one thing on this survey result was employers were focused on implementing more virtual solutions. I know, big shocker, right? Coming out of 
COVID where everybody had to stay at home and we weren't sure how to get care at certain times. Uh, finding virtual solutions is the number one priority for employers out there. Uh, and the obvious one is telehealth. Uh, finding the right telehealth provider can have a big impact on your population. And so employers are focused on that. And Vanessa, there's several options out there, whether it be an embedded option, a carve-out option. What are you seeing as good options for the employers out there? You know, it's an interesting one, Jared. I mean, reality is we say we see an increase. We've seen 157% increase, if not trifectas of that, depending on the given employer population of utilization uptick. And the reality is that could be a teledoc, a doctor on demand, uh, you name it. There are a, a large volume of really, really great platforms out there, some of which we place direct or are embedded with the carrier, as you've mentioned. But what we're rapidly seeing is a dynamic transition towards very targeted delivery models, leveraging virtual care capabilities. So things like musculoskeletal, uh, chronic disease management programs, apps, you know, on musculoskeletal such as Hinge or Telespine. Uh, we're seeing some interesting integrations and pairings uh, from ownership structure or roll up with many of these. And let's face it, the war on membership has become quite dynamic as a result of this rapid uptick. We have carrier systems alike that are eager to explore, expand, and invest in primary telehealth delivery models as well. So the myriad of solutions is rapidly evolving. I would argue it's here to stay. We've absolutely achieved um, what many employers have been chasing for years through incentive and plan design, but it will likely lead to new plan design strategies alike because billing practices between these platforms are not all created equal. For sure. And it, finding the right one becomes another challenge that the employer has to handle. And whether it's with some of those chronic disease management platforms that were around prior to COVID and prior to this a big boost we've seen in virtual solutions like your Lavongos, Amadas, or Tria Healths. The rush to, to get on this train has been fast forward quite a bit. And it's finding the right one for your uh, population is going to be a challenge. And vetting them and, and trying to see which one's going to engage with my population. Are you a blue collar? Are you a white collar? Which one's going to fit with your population also creates challenges. But it is great to see employers getting on this train and trying to find that solution because in today's world, people want to have things digitally. They want to have things on the go. We all have fast-paced lives and trying to find healthcare that can fit our fast-paced lives is an ongoing need. And these virtual solutions are really helping people do that. I know with my family, with four kids, we're constantly going and trying to find solutions that fit our lifestyle is, is tough. And having different virtual solutions can really help our family. So I know that personally. Agreed, agreed. So absolutely agree with number one on the Business Group on Health's charts this year. Moving on to number two, I would argue that this hits on a topic that's clearly taken center stage during COVID, but equally demanded heightened attention prior, and that is expanded access to mental health services. New solutions here also are aimed at deploying innovative resources virtually, clearly, yet it's up to all of us in the trenches and those out there, listeners in the field, to plot the course for access and care navigation for end users. What are you seeing, hearing, uh, piquing your interest, Jared, on this front? Well, first and foremost, I am very excited to see this 
as one of the top solutions that employers are trying to engage in and create a solution for their employees. Uh, I've read several different studies out there that show one of the biggest concerns that employees have is finding mental health provider that is in network and can get access to. And the fact that this is a focus for employers to create these solutions, like you said, whether it's virtually or amending plan documents to allow access to more mental health providers is, is a huge win because for the longest time, this topic has been taboo and it's been something that hasn't been openly discussed. And the fact that it's a number two in a large survey like this as a focus for employers is a huge win for employees across the country. Yeah, I'd argue, you know, this is just not nomenclature. We cannot just speak uh, without delivery here. There's not a golden ticket. Clearly will vary uh, as to what a unique population may adopt over others. But let's face it, COVID has accelerated, sadly, a framework that is a bit intimidating as we look to the future. We know factually when we study data that anxiety lays an elevated groundwork for other physical health concerns. 3.2 average number of comorbidities for those members with depression include hypertension, diabetes, MSK issues, and nearly one in five adults suffer from a mental health illness such as depression or anxiety. Sadly, you know, the punch in the face, as some of our counterparts would say, of COVID, right, that it's taken on a toll. Uh, the framework and the suggestive evidence between death, loss of jobs, loss of homes, the stress in the current environment certainly and sadly gives some unpleasant surprises as we look to claim forecasts of the future. Elevated risks are abundant, and opportunities to engage and provide tool sets are extremely important in the current climate. So I don't care if it's, you know, Talkspace, Ginger.io, Sanvelo, Headspace, Happify. We have uh, many, many, many solutions in the market today. It's just identifying what truly fits an organization's unique culture, right? And access to data should absolutely support and continual follow-up. Uh, any leadership messaging throughout the year. No, you're exactly right. And I, I really appreciate what you said about we can talk about it, but let's put something into action. And putting something into action has to fit exactly what you said, has to fit a company's culture, has to fit their population, something that they can engage in. And that takes, again, a lot of work for these plan sponsors to find the right solution. And to vet these types of solutions is going to create a different aspect or different dynamic that maybe they haven't focused on in the past. But the fact that it is a priority, we're moving in the right direction and we're going to find the right solutions and we're going to get people access to care to get treatment for these uh, concerns and, and chronic issues that they have. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, money talks on decision making, right? As plan sponsors are thinking about cost containment for the future, this should not sit the bench. It absolutely should be a part of what you're looking to solve for at an organizational level. Well, for sure. And it, and it fits really well with what you said, because as you said, there's the comorbidities of, of mental health concerns and also other chronic issues and, and large claim spend. And number three on this list was uh, creative solutions for containing large cost. And so the two go hand in hand. If you really look at it, how does mental health affect large claims? Well, there's definitely a direct correlation between the two. Yeah. In fact, when we study our claims, Jared, we find that those participants without behavioral health services, right, they might be around 2.4K in average annual spend, but that rapidly jumps to 9, 10 plus when we see those duly diagnosed and claim care needs and anxiety, depression, substance abuse, 
uh, et cetera. So absolutely uh, pertinent to cost containment of the future. Large losses, as you've mentioned, number three on this list, many looking to get very, very creative here. These aren't always new concepts, but I think that the need and the drive to peek under the hood is at an all-time high because of some of these complexities, right, that we're speaking to here. Certainly, whether it's reference-based pricing or value-based pricing, carve-out or direct contracts, uh, examples, you know, such as PCP or non-emergent surgeries, uh, ACOs, accountable care organizations, or pharmacy solutions. The reality is there are a myriad of, of marketplace trends being thrown at employers. And I would argue we need to be pretty cautious on this front. Uh, while be it some of these will make sense, they are also uh, ingrained in carrier-driven or embedded objectives many times over. So how do you as a plan sponsor truly, truly dissect that? Uh, it should be vetted with caution. For sure. And, and many of these topics that you just referenced will be episodes all into themselves where we will dive deeper into reference-based pricing and help you understand what reference-based and value-based pricing is and how that works and the good, the bad, and the potential ugly of, of solutions like that. Uh, I just listened to a study this morning about uh, the state of Montana, which really, that study right there is what pushed reference-based pricing on the forefront, I believe, across the country. And how did the state of Montana do that? And what is reference-based pricing? And how did they use that to help save the state of Montana nearly $20 million in one year? And that solution that Montana did is that achievable by other organizations across the country. And, and people are trying to recreate that. And is it doable? And I think that organizations need to pull back the different layers of reference-based pricing because it does have a fit and it can work clearly. The state of Montana illustrated that. But is it right for every single organization? That's what we need to help our listeners understand. And that would be one of our goals is to help you understand solutions like that and how they work and how they may fit. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We definitely want to explore the pros and the cons of all of these solutions in upcoming uh, series and episodes. I would say, you know, of similar note, reference-based pricing being one example of many that really look to tackle uh, pricing and transparency, right, in the marketplace. The reality is provider margins are sitting at 2.7% on average nationally, and there's not a lot of wiggle room here. 60%, nearing 60% of revenues are coming from federal government funding, Medicare, Medicaid pricing. So the private model definitely takes a hit with some of these dynamics alike and how much will the system bear is yet to be determined. So interesting times and dynamic times and great opportunities really on the forefront to digest for all in the employer-sponsored model. For sure. You, you mentioned transparency as that's a goal and there's actually legislation. And what does that legislation mean? as far as the transparency legislation that's that's forthcoming and how is that going to help employers get more transparency and will that really have an impact on reducing employer spend? Um, so there's a lot of things that go into these different strategies and have to be evaluated and employers have to, again, understand the pros and the cons of each of the different solutions that are being presented to them. Yeah, I mean, that brings us to number four on the business group on health uh, hit list here today. Um, ultimately, I'd say it's a more rapid proof point in employers' desire to tackle high-cost claims. It's one that goes against the industry-intended grain at the initial launch, and that's the employer priority cited by BGH as moving away from full replacement high deductible health plans or HSAs. Why do we think this is happening? Certainly, I would argue, Jared, that it's a delay of care that we see in the data, lack of true transparency and cost, which 
yet to be determined how the latest regs may help support or transform this. And frankly, unhappy employees, uh, when they have a, an event, they're oftentimes buying, right, for a price point, not realizing until they incur a cost. So any other thoughts there on number four? No, it, I mean, it's not too surprising to see employers moving away, away from this solution. Um, they do have their place. Let's, let's be very transparent. If they're implemented properly and there's communication and employees know what they're getting, there is a place for high deductible healthcare plans. But are they the, the silver bullet that's going to solve everything? Um, the data showing us no. You mentioned delay of care. Down the road in a future episode, I'll share with you my own personal experience with delay of care and how that impacted me personally, but also impacted my employer-sponsored healthcare several years ago to the tune of a hundred plus thousand dollars, right? So delay of care is real. The lack of transparency for high deductibles to work, we need true transparency and it's just not there. And employees are left out there to try and find the best or cheapest solution in healthcare. And that's tough. Uh, We work in this industry, Vanessa, and I would say it's tough for me to sometimes navigate this crazy healthcare system to expect the common average person to be able to do that. That is very, very difficult. I read a statistic the other day that less than 12% of the U.S. population truly feels confident in navigating the healthcare system in the United States. So that's nearly 90% of people that don't feel comfortable. And for high deductible healthcare plans to work, they have to navigate that system and make educated decisions. That puts people in a rough spot. So it's no surprise that they are pulling back on this as a single solution um, and trying to find alternative options in their plan designs. Agreed. I think that's also what's surprising is as you explore this list, we're not seeing it. There's, frankly, a handful of topics we're not seeing on this list I'm surprised by. But that concept of transparency is also lending itself quite quickly to advocacy, right? And not just for those that are enrolled on the group health plan, but for all teammates, right, within an organization, That is a unique play that we're seeing a very heightened demand for and exploration around. Excited to break that down a bit further as well in future episodes. But these models really look to give a concierge style or approach uh, to truly differentiate one employer from the next on that employee experience, how they support or handhold all year through. For sure. Because one of the reasons you offer a healthcare plan is a recruitment or retention tool. That's why employers are offering this. And if it creates ambiguity for that employee in their healthcare plan, it's difficult. And you're right, those navigation solutions become crucial and vital. And and that could be an episode all into itself where we talk about navigation. What is the right navigation system? What is the right concierge service for your population? Who's going to engage the right? Do you want to have a virtual navigation system where it's 100% automated? Is it a, a person where they do outreach based on data? There's so many different Uh, concierge services out there and which one is the right one for those employees to be able to navigate this tough system and which one can truly help us find a little bit more transparency. There's a lot of good ones out there. There's a lot that I really, really like when it comes to that navigation and transparency tools, but there's also others that maybe can create a little bit of mud in the water for that employee. Yeah, we've seen some unique plays specifically around prescription drugs. As we all know, if you're an employer, an influencer, a decision maker in this space, uh, RX is growing at a very rapid trend. 
particularly that specialty RX category and the application of specialty high costs. We're talking thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars per script. These are easily topping employer health plan charts uh, or government or federal charts as number one, you know, top 10 high claimants in a given year. And it's 100% RX spend in some of these cases. So truly looking at, um, A, ensuring you're not overlooking how your program is structured, whether it's a carve out or a carve in is an integral and very important prudency part of your renewal process, I would argue, that you should not be leaving unturned. Specialty pharmacy remains that heavy hitter, but some transparency tools are absolutely targeted at just that. Starting to see the evolution and integration of not just RX plays, but medical and mental health well-being, total lifestyle management alike. For sure. We, I, to your point, I just reviewed with a client their data um, year to date and also last year's full year data. And their number one large claimant, 95% of their claim spend was all RX. And the client was blown away. Unfortunately, I wasn't too shocked because like you said, we're seeing more and more of that. We're seeing more and more of that specialty medication really drive up cost. If you break down different aspects of claim spend on uh, employer-sponsored plans, the number one trend is in specialty medication. That's the highest trend. It's between 24 and 25% year-over-year increase on that trend line. How do they manage that specialty medication? How do we allow the members to get access to those medications? Because I'm on a specialty medication, again, not to give too much detail, but it's life-changing. So it's something that really can benefit that employee. But how do you manage that spend and properly get them access to care, but also wear that fiduciary hat and try to manage that properly to combat that 24, 25% trend that we're seeing on specialty medication year over year? It becomes a really, really big challenge. And transparency and transparency in the PBM world, that sometimes can be an oxymoron, right? <laughs> and and how, do we, how do we uncover that? So- uh, that becomes a challenge for employers. And speaking of episodes all into themselves, that's one of our future planned episodes is to dive into that PBM space where we'll bring on a subject matter expert that can help our listeners know some of the tools that are out there that they can go to and find for true transparency and help combat some of those large spends that are out there and especially medications and other uh, areas of pharmacy spend. Yeah, let's face it. There are some great ways to tackle this, and it's continually and dynamically transforming. We've got biosimilars entering the marketplace. Think of those as like generics uh, of the brand RX world. But if you don't do proper homework or if you're not properly educated, sadly, that plan structure may have a miss. So exciting times, dynamic times here, and eager to bring you more intel on that front. The reality is, as we wrap up today's episode, I would really warn our dear listeners not to let the misnomers of trends, whether it be the BGH report itself, um, in and of themselves steer the ship without careful consideration. We're in an era of abundant product. We've talked about product on today's episode, product innovators, product pushers, but we must be very careful in assessing goals and recognizing that leadership ultimately defines a culture, adoption, or success of nearly all opportunistic paths. Products in and of themselves will not solve our problems, but products when well positioned for very targeted needs absolutely have ROI. So exciting times ahead. Jared, any other thoughts there for the crew? No, we're excited to be with y'all and continue to share the, the new and innovation. And we always say this at, at Hayes, Brown & Brown, we challenge the status quo. And that's what will be one of our goals as we continue forward in our different episodes is to challenge the status quo that's in the marketplace to help you see a little bit different perspective on these things. Vanessa, you mentioned product and being product pushers. You got to be leery of those sales guys. 
just kidding. I help lead our sales charge in a region of the country so I can make fun of salespeople. But you have to be leery of that. And you have to question, is this sound good or is this the right? And, and using data to help make those decisions is something that employers are doing more and more of. Something we hope to help you understand is how do I get access to data and good data? And how can that data help me put me in a better position to make the right decisions for my population? But we're excited to be with you and share with you these new innovative things. I'm very excited, Vanessa. Likewise, thanks all for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you at our next episode.